Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome along to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. My name is Ruri Barlow. I'm joined by Paco Polit. We've just witnessed Sevilla again getting through to their seventh Europa League final in dramatic fashion in extra time. I'm a little bit lost for words. Have you got any to describe what just happened, Paco? Uh, usual business, I would say, for, for Sevilla <laughs> whenever they play this competition. You know, it's so it's so weird to find a team who is so uh, dramatically unequipped to compete in the Champions League, but whenever they go one step down, uh, are just almighty, you know, whenever they play in the Europa League as, as Sevilla. It's, it's super weird, but... In this case, I believe it's the you know the stuff of dreams for for Sevilla fans who remember just only a couple of months ago were uh, not enjoying the season so far. Uh, things were tight at the bottom of the standings in La Liga. They had gotten uh, knocked out of the of the Champions League. They were you know overall not not enjoying the the second half of the season. Along came uh, Mendilibar after Sampaoli's uh, sacking and in addition to the signings which came over in, in January where you could say that Monchi course corrected most of the stuff which went wrong at the beginning of the season. Uh, Sevilla seemed just like an, a radically different side and, and we could see it uh, tonight with, with their win against uh, Juventus which we also should say and point out that it's not like the mighty Juventus, which competed in Europe uh, three, four seasons ago. But regardless, it's uh, a super team uh, altogether. And, and Sevilla were able to beat them, uh, I would say, in, spe- in spectacular fashion. Because we were just talking about this before the, the recording, the podcast recording. Uh, they won almost every single stat in the game, except the red mm. cards, obviously. Uh, but Sevilla had more ball possession, they had more chances, they had more shots on, tar- on target, they scored more goals. And overall, I think that they deserved, you know, moving on to the final. Overall, you cannot say that Sevilla uh, did anything wrong uh, over the 180 minutes in this in this round. And, and yeah, definitely we have to give our congratulations to Sevilla fans and overall to the Sevilla whole side. 
Absolutely, I, I second that very much. We will come on to a little bit of La Liga in the second half of the show. We'll also discuss Real Madrid and uh, their debacle on Wednesday night. But we've got to start with Sevilla. We've got to continue with them because, as you were saying, they kind of won all the stats in this game. They were much better for my money in the first game, in the first leg, and it was just that last-minute header yeah. which prevented them from winning. They obviously, as you say, I, th- I think Juventus did carry a threat and they missed some good chances in this game. But Sevilla... I lost count of the amount of times I'd love it, somebody to to find me the stats if somebody wants to point that out to me on Twitter. But the amount of times that they won the ball back in Juventus half and set about their kind of defence again, and it it really was a testament to the fact that Mendy's system, Mendy's high pressing, works at this level. There, it was pretty insane to see, and the atmosphere as well. It, it was really a cauldron, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, uh, whenever uh, Sevilla fans detect and are able to to notice that their team is in one of those moments where they really need their support i think that they always step up to the plate and and sevilla's fan base is is uh, i would say second to none in this in this case maybe uh, overall in spain can be compared to real betis obviously to valencia uh, who have also shown this season that even in the direst straits, they are able to support their team regardless of what is going on. But in Sevilla's case this this season, uh, I think it's even more uh, noticeable because uh, only two months ago we were watching scenes over in uh, Ramon Sanchez Tijuan with fans fed up of you know um, of drama, fed up of uh, losing games, fed up of not having a proper direction in the, you know, a proper idea uh, over at the at the board of the club, the sport direction, criticism directed towards Monchi. All of that has been forgotten. And it has been forgotten uh, building from the ground up and doing things on the most basic level. Uh, making the team to grow stronger, obviously winning games, defending better, bringing into the fold players who were maybe two months ago under San Paoli just disconnected from the overall flow of the team and and once you get to these kind of games as I said earlier I think that the fan base always knows when to uh, really give their their 100% in, in any single game and it, this was you know possibly the uh, game where if you find out the schedule overall in the whole season and you have the calendar you mark it in red obviously because this game against Juventus, great uh, opposition, big team, uh, the biggest scenery, and obviously a ticket for a final in um, on the line. I think that overall the the atmosphere was one of the best, if not the best, in the last few years over at uh, Nervion. It really was bouncing. It has to be said, and I, I sort of tweeted out about it. And it's it's funny with. Mendelibar, I mean, 409 days ago, he was sacked by Alaves. He was bottom of the table. I think some of, some people thought that that might be his last job in La Liga, let alone kind of, yeah, what, what might happen in the future and getting a big job like Sevilla. He comes in, as you say, he kind of builds things from the most basic level. He talks about doing things most simply. And just the fact that he's kind of this grumpier kind of older Basque figure the fact that he doesn't like modern football that he's sick of VAR he's fed up with it he turns up in his polo I think I saw a picture of him at uh, a few hours ago I think it was about 
two in the afternoon, sitting in a cafe, having his cafe con leche, just n- not really paying attention to the general kind of hysteria around football. And then the fact that he goes and, and plans that against Juventus, as you say, it's not the mighty Juventus, but still, this is a side that's invested a hell of a lot more money than Sevilla that has yeah. a better team pound for pound for them. They've got the likes of Angel Di Maria, who was scoring in the World Cup final not that long ago. So, yeah, it's a side that should have been kind of outclassed by this Juve side, really. And again, against Manchester United, you could say the same. And I was saying, it's lucky that he's not wearing a kind of roll neck and he's not 38 years old and German, because otherwise, looking at the way that they press, the way that they just kind of outdid um, Valencia, sorry, Paco, (laughs) Um, outdid Juventus in every sense. I, I think it was really remarkable to watch they obviously come on and they face Roma in the final. Jose Mourinho, mm. we're all very familiar with him. Uh, how do you like their chances? Just initial reactions to that. Well, uh, regarding Mendilibar, uh, I had the chance of, of uh, you know, meeting him and knowing him back in the day when he became Levante's manager. I believe it was around 10 years ago, nine seasons ago, more or less. And uh, back then, you know, you could see that this is a guy who really takes seriously his job, obviously, but that he never lost that kind of uh, humble attitude towards both what football is as a sport, but also as an, a spectacle, as a show, you know. And he knows his, his role in it as a manager, but he never takes himself too seriously, you know. He, he just a guy doing his job, and whenever he's task finishes uh, at the training ground or, you know, signing some autographs and taking pictures with the fans. That's it. And you can find him. Uh, back in the day, you could find him over here in Mercado de Colón. As you said, you know, having a coffee or, or taking a stroll through the city's downtown. And and it was just a regular guy uh, enjoying his job, obviously, but, and doing it as, as, as well as he could. But he he didn't have a, a good time over at, at Levante and it was a pity because I think that he really deserves this kind of spotlight that he's getting lately over at Sevilla. It's the triumph of the humble manager who, who never really, uh, you know, uh, who never really stood uh, as someone well-known when he played football because Mendilibar played back in the day but who has slowly uh, built from the lower tiers of Spanish football into becoming an elite manager, and he's proving so over at uh, Sevilla. And as you said, as a short preview of that game against uh, uh, Mourinho's uh, Rome, uh, uh, it's going to be tough, because I think that uh, Mourinho has slowly built something quite interesting over there in the last couple of seasons, winning the conference league last year and, and and this season getting into the the UEFA Europa League final but at the same time I think that in these kind of games uh, the badge has more weight and even though AS Roma have the the weight of history behind them because we're talking about uh, one of the biggest clubs in Europe I think that in this competition specifically and talking about Sevilla it's like the you know uh peanut butter and jelly, you know, for the for the sandwich. We're talking about the perfect match. And uh, we have seen <laughs> it because whenever uh, you see Sevilla getting into the 
uh, Europa League final, you know what the outcome is going to be most of the time because they never fail, you know, in that sense. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to watch. I think that uh, I would say we're talking about a 50% chance for both of them, but you have to give a slight edge. I believe uh, Roma have a slightly better squad, and I believe uh, Sevilla have slightly better chances as they have more gravitas in their badge and in their club and in their history in this competition. It's certainly going to be a fascinating watch, as you say. I think kind of in terms of technical ability, Roma probably just about have that that upper edge. And in theory, I would say Mourinho likes to sit deep and counter-attack in Europe, and that's probably quite good against a side that presses up very high, as Sevilla do and as Mendelibar likes to do. But if Sevilla can play the way that they did tonight and if they can shut down the, the Roma breaks like they did tonight, because they were all over Juventus for almost the entire game, and yeah. although Juventus did get those chances, as we said, they really did kind of hem them into their own half. It's interesting that Mendelibar before the match had said what do I think you are going to do? I think they're going to try and control the ball and I think they're going to try and uh, yeah, keep possession and, and attack us. And that that was nothing that happened. Yeah, I don't, I don't know your thoughts on it, Paco. We also have a very interesting stat regarding both Mourinho and Mendilibar and Sevilla and Roma. And uh, we have to talk, obviously, about the difference between experience because Mendilibar is older than Mourinho, but Mourinho has uh, coached teams... Uh, I don't know, we're talking about plus 200 plus games in European competitions, whereas Mendilibar only has six under his belt. The latest six, <laughs> you know, with Sevilla. So the difference in experience is, is homongeous. And at the same time, we have two stats that are going to collide eventually and are going to finish uh, along the line. The, fir uh, uh, the first one is that Mourinho has always won the finals in Europe that he has played, okay? And the other one is that Sevilla has played six European finals and they have won all of them. So something's got to give, you know. Some of them, one of them is going to suffer, obviously, their first defeat in, in a final. And hopefully, uh, we have to talk uh, a couple of weeks from now about Mourinho losing his first European final, which uh, would mean great news for, for Sevilla fans. I think even those who, who really love Mourinho and who, who like his his shtick and the way he goes about things can understand that he is the pantomime villain. And if we are going to kind of draw this up as a pantomime contest, then Mendilibar is good and Mourinho is evil in this case. And I think the two clash pretty nicely in terms of narrative. As you say, one of them most experienced, self-dubbed, the special one. And, and has that record in Europe, has that record across his career, has managed some of the biggest clubs in the world, the biggest players in the world, against the humble common man that is Mendilibar. I don't want to overplay it too much because he's obviously a top-quality manager, but, yeah, a guy who turns up, does his job, and then goes goes for a stroll in the park after after his work. And So, yeah, it, it is shaping up to be a fantastic final. Congratulations to Sevillistas. Brilliant occasion and one of the games that I've enjoyed most this year. Um, the one thing, the one sour, sour point that I wanted to touch on with you, and I don't like calling referees out, but sometimes Danny McAuley yeah. sent off Marcos Acuna for second yellow for time wasting. Paco, give me your thoughts on this. 
Uh, actually, I, I, we did speak about this a few minutes ago. Uh, my, my tweet after watching this was that the referee of this game was so awful that he seemed Spanish for a number of reasons. And as you said, you know, Acuna being sent off in the in the uh, extra time of, of this game is so unfair to the player. Obviously, it was unfair for, for Sevilla because they had to play with one man down in the last 10 minutes. But it's so unfair for Acuna, who has been uh, super important for his side for many games, especially in this competition, also in La Liga, but especially in this uh, year's edition of the Europa League, and seeing him missing the final for such a nonsense second yellow was super unfair. You know, I remember earlier this week, I was remembering about uh, similar levels of drama back in the year 2000 when Amedeo Carboni, he played for, for Valencia and he saw uh an absurd yellow card in the second leg of the semi-final and he missed the the final against Real Madrid for you know the aggregate level of number of of yellows and it this is very similar you know Acuña shouldn't 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 have been uh, sent off in this game and in this sense we have to absolutely blame the referee because he wasn't you know uh at the same level as the two teams who he was refereeing Yes, it was an electric game, as you say, and we'll finish on, on that positive note before we come on to part two, where, well, some some fans will probably quite enjoy our, our breakdown and our tearing apart of, of what was a tearing apart of Real Madrid against Manchester City. We're going to take a very brief break now, and then we will be back in two seconds to discuss Pep Guardiola's avenging of, of many defeats in the past to Real Madrid. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. for Real Madrid, it's is a summer of strengthening and coming back. Well, next, the, the, the idea is to, to fight, to compete uh, as we did this season, last season, in the Champions League and in all the competition. I think that uh, until now we did well, we, we have to accept the defeat because sometimes in sport you cannot always win. Sometimes you have to accept the defeat and through the defeat try to be better next season. Welcome back to part two of the La Liga Loren podcast. 
We promised you that we would break down what happened at the Etihad Stadium, Manchester City 4, Real Madrid 0. The mystique was thoroughly washed off them in Manchester because Real Madrid's, for all of their of their bravado and all of the the sort of history they have in this competition, Paco, they were taken apart, they were demolished by a significantly better team on Wednesday night, weren't they? Yeah, this is one of the examples of a game doesn't really not really reflecting the you know, a scoreline not really reflecting what happened in a game because you do see the four nil scoreline and you say, Okay, Manchester City were far superior than Real Madrid, but in reality, uh, actually City should have scored like six or seven goals. You know, it was something uh, outlandish from, from another planet. The first half especially was an absolute disaster class in Real Madrid's case and, you know, a premium level masterclass from, from Manchester City who demolished, as you said, uh, Real Madrid. They scored twice. They could have scored easily three or four more. Haaland possibly had nightmares uh, <laughs> Wednesday night with with uh, Courtois because Courtois made a couple of god-tier level uh, saves to the to the Norwich forward and ultimately uh, you have to give credit to Guardiola obviously because many people are arguing that Guardiola has the best ingredients to produce the best menu or the best meal but we've seen over and over top-level managers being unable to really take advantage of the best ingredients in the in the kitchen. Whereas Guardiola has seen the the board over at, at City letting him cook, as the as the youngsters say <laughs> now, and and he was able to cook an amazing meal last Wednesday. You know, Bernardo Silva was excellent, pinpoint accuracy both in his finishes to score the first two goals. Jack Grealish was amazing in my book. I didn't expect him to step up to the plate in the way he did. But I have to if I have to, you know, point out one player from City overall, I have to talk about Kyle Walker. You know, Walker deactivated uh the bomb which is Vinicius Jr. nowadays. A player who whenever uh in form and unmotivated can be unstoppable. And Kyle Walker reduced him to pieces. You know, he absolutely shredded him in every single run, in every single take, down, uh, take on, in every single uh, attempt by Vinicius to shake up something over at the game. Kyle Walker was there to tell him no, no. So, yeah, mad praise for, for Manchester City and obviously plenty of food for thought in Real Madrid's case. In Florentino Perez's case, obviously the fans were very disappointed because it's not only losing this kind of game, but also the way they lost. And overall, the main headline, in my view, is that Real Madrid were hapless and uh, defenseless against a much better team with much better players and overall a much better manager. Because I think we have to give credit to Guardiola and in the comparison with Ancelotti, I think that Guardiola was better in the first leg and he was much, much better in the second one. Yeah, interesting stuff you say there about kind of Real Madrid and especially on Vinicius. Two dribble attempts he had in the whole game. He didn't complete either of them, which goes to show you, I mean, this is a guy that's been averaging kind of 
13, 14, 15 dribble attempts a game and completing more than half of them, probably up towards 60, 70%. Yeah, this but is a guy th that's, that why, that's why I link it with the, the genius in this case of the manager because I think that's overall the main order by Guardiola to his players most of the time in this game was try to short-circuit Real Madrid's ball movements whenever it's in the first third of the pitch. You know, Real Madrid trying to get the ball from Courtois and the and, and the back line of, of players to to the midfield, to Toni Kroos and Modric, and later on to Vinicius. And that's why Vinicius only had a couple of attempts, because he never did have the ball in favorable conditions. And, and that's merit both of Kyle Walker, who was on top of him every single moment of the game, I would say that even in the halftime, if Vinicius went to take a leak, I think that Kyle Walker was next <laughs> to him. You know, that was that was the order to follow him, pursue him, and try to press him throughout the whole game, and and he succeeded and he did great in that sense, and and that is also uh, linked in a in a sense to some players, uh, Rudy, that didn't didn't deliver. I was very disappointed by Modric. I was partially disappointed by Kroos because he had a good chance on that uh, mid-range shot that was, you know, smashed the woodwork and was mainly the only chance by Real Madrid in the whole game. I was very disappointed with Benzema. Everyone expected more, more from him. And uh, overall, I say that whenever you have your top three, if you deactivate Vinicius and three, two and a half of Real Madrid stars are having a bad night, you can call curtains. Fortunately for Real Madrid, Courtois was in tip-top shape. If he wasn't, we would have been talking about that uh, outrageous scoreline of 6 or 7 nil. Yeah, it was kind of remarkable. That, that was the thing that I kind of put in at the start of uh, my piece on the Substack. If you go to llonline.substack.com, it was the fact that, yeah, Courtois was in superhuman form. They stopped Erling Haaland scoring and they still lost 4-0, which is pretty ridiculous in of itself. What you're talking about with kind of Modric and Kroosa is interesting because so often we've seen Real Madrid deliberately draw teams onto them, play out from the back, and that's where the winner in the Champions League comes from, from Modric being at right back, playing it out and finding Valverde on the right wing, crosses to Vinicius. Liverpool, I think at the time, most people would agree, if not with City, were probably one of the best pressing teams in the world, if not the best. Yeah. And, and the way that they managed to work their way out of that, play their way out of that... And then compare that to the Etihad where Real Madrid, I think, tried to do that. I think they played out from deep and they tried to make their way out of that press, but they just couldn't find a way. And we're talking about sort of probably the best two or three players in, in the world that are experienced at doing that exact mm. thing. So there you have to give merit to them as well. The one big selection dilemma for Carlo Ancelotti was Eder Militao or Antonio Rudiger, who obviously did a good job on hand in the first leg. Do you think he got that right? And in terms of kind of the other selection pieces, Kamavinga at left back, I thought was risky enough as it was, but I understand why he did it as well because he didn't want to move Alaba out. Would you have done anything differently to Carlo? I know it's easy in hindsight. Yeah, it's uh, as we say in Spanish, Capitana Posteriori, as you say, <laughs> Captain Obvious after the event. Um, but yeah, there are a number of things, you know. First, first up, you you spoke about Modric, Kroos, Valverde. It's tough, you know. Whenever you have in front of you players like Stones and Rodri, overall, I, I talked about Walker, but I, I would pl 
put at the same level Rodri because he had a massive game, massive. And I began thinking about uh, Luis Enrique and his choice of placing Rodri at the back <laughs> as a as a fullback, uh, as a defender during the World Cup when Rodri is possibly the best or one of the best uh defensive midfielders who can also play as number eight in the world. You know, Rodri was an absolute uh, riot in this game. He was unstoppable. He recovered 1,200 balls, possibly. Uh, and Stones, <laughs> alongside him, was, was also uh, in, in form. And yeah, Camavinga isn't a left-back. He proved it once again. He had trouble whenever, in the first goal, I remember Bernardo Silva was able to sneak in uh, past him and Tony Cross to score the first one. Overall, he seemed poorly equipped to deal with all of the, the quality which Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne well, were bringing in that uh, right flank of City's attack. Uh, also, Carvajal suffered a lot with Grealish, a lot, you know. I think it's one of the games where Carvajal has been more outclassed in the last few seasons. He, he was just unable to stop Grealish and uh, Gundogan whenever he was able to, you know, uh, sneak in also through that flank. And about the Rudiger Militao switch, obviously uh, Ancelotti knew what he was dealing with. I don't believe Alaba and Militao did a bad job over Haaland because overall he only had a couple of chances. They were very clear, obviously, but... The, most of the time they were able to keep him in check but mm, my point of view in this in this issue and my you know train of thought in this issue is that if you have a player who has been able to really deliver in a specific task as Rudiger was in the first leg you have to you know uh, bet on some sort of continuity with him you have to give him another chance to to persevere and, and continue doing properly the task that that you gave him and i don't know i think that maybe uh overall militao might be that might be a better uh, central defender than rudiger but maybe specifically marking Haaland, rudiger was better equipped i don't know and and i don't think we, we won't ever know i can understand Real Madrid fans criticizing ancelotti but i don't think it was like a big crucial point in this game because overall City were far superior than, than Real Madrid. Yeah, I thought it was a, a kind of storm in a teacup in a sense. Yeah, to grasping be for him. straws, you know, if we have to find <laughs> yeah. some sort of debate, but I don't know. Even with Rudiger, I think that uh, City would have, you know, moved on to the final. As is the case, whenever Real Madrid lose a big game and by a margin, Carlo Ancelotti was called into question by some people in the Spanish media. I think, well, all of the players that spoke to the media came out and said that yeah. Carlo is staying, that we want him to stay. And I think most of the kind of more nuanced Real Madrid fans, shall we say, were less reluctant to kill Carlo for this and, and sack him off for it, Yeah, I think. Jorge Lopez Torrecillo, who's obviously of this parish, was, was very much of that train of thought. And I, I tend to agree with him. But in terms of the summer, firstly, do you think Ancelotti will leave? And yeah, just just quickly, what does this change for Real Madrid, if anything? You know, with with uh, Ancelotti, there's a, the story surrounding him is that Ancelotti is boring. You know, 
the media, especially Madridista media, we have to <laughs> differentiate between uh, media Madrid-based and media who are Madrid fans. Unfortunately for Spain, most media are Madrid fans and they behave as so. And that's why we cannot really enjoy balanced assessments of games as the one that we had last Wednesday. And Ancelotti's so boring, so predictable, so gentlemanly in most of his attitudes, so level-minded that some of that media really want the kind of manager who can give them more spice. And Ancelotti has, mm, in both tenures over at Real Madrid, uh, performed absolute triumphs most of the time. He has been arguably one of the most successful managers in Real Madrid history, okay? And uh, Real Madrid media need fresh blood, fresh debates, fresh controversy, fresh uh, leaks, that kind so, of So stuff. you're saying it like a Pep Guardiola? No, they like uh, <laughs> Jose Mourinho. That, yeah, that, well, that's that, prof that profile, you know, because uh, that's the, uh, the time uh, in the last 15 years when they thrived the most, when you had every single day a new controversy. And Ancelotti isn't that kind of manager. He is a proper coach, a proper coach in every sense. He knows what to do. He knows what to say. He knows how to coach and train world-class stars. And the way I see it, I'm not a Real Madrid fan, obviously. The way hmm. I, say it, I see it is Ancelotti might be nowadays the better equipped manager in the world to train Real Madrid. Hands down. And but, that, is, that is what Jorge said. Yeah, but, but at the same time, there's that sneaky part of me who really wants uh, Real Madrid to change manager because I'm 100% sure that no manager is going to do as well as Ancelotti. And that is going to bring <laughs> in the drama, but not for the reasons that Real Madrid media want. Because whenever ex-manager comes in and things go south, because it will happen... <laughs> All of them will start claiming for Ancelotti to be back as soon as a couple of games are lost. That's how things work over here. So, on one hand, if I were Florentino Perez, I would extend Ancelotti's contract. Well, he obviously is in contract. He has one more year remaining. But I would stick to Ancelotti hands down because I think that he is the better manager for this job. On the other one... I would love Real Madrid to uh, sack Ancelotti, bring in another one, because I am sure that he's going to fail. <laughs> whoever he is. Whoever <laughs> Lovely he is. assessment. It's as if they're married to someone brilliant who's the best partner for them, but they cannot be satisfied with what yeah. they have in front they of them. They want the roller coaster. They want the mm. thrills. They want, the, they want everything, but they have <laughs> the best and they don't really uh, appreciate it. So don't in that sense, I, I won't shed a tear for uh, that Real Madrid, those Real Madrid journalists or media who are, you know, uh, yelling for a change and a new manager and, and Mourinho to come back and whoever to be in charge and whoever to bring in more. Um, we always say the, th the same thing. They always say the same thing. Whenever Ancelotti is a manager who is able to, you know, use his 
his um, diplomacy with the players, they always believe that they have grown uh, relaxed. So they always <laughs> ask for a sergeant, you know, a, um, uh, a necesitamos un sargento. Yes, we, you yeah. need a, a, a super... Uh, a super rigid manager to uh, deliver plenty of physical training and plenty of whatever. When Real Madrid possibly have the one of the best physical trainers in the, in the whole world, because you only have to see like 30, 38, 38, 39 year old players, 37 year old players uh, being top top shape for most of the season, which is amazing. But for some people, Sam. Real Madrid fans and Real Madrid uh, journalists, uh, it doesn't seem enough, enough for them. So good luck with that. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we are running out of time, so we will just touch briefly on the fixtures coming up in La Liga. Cadiz Valladolid on Friday night is a big relegation zone battle. Girona Villarreal is also European places. That's fifth against seventh. Athletic take on Celta. Getafe Elche must win for Jose Bordelas there. Almeria face Mallorca in another big relegation one. Mm -hmm. uh, Barcelona have Real Sociedad at home. They could be on their holidays with Real looking for the top four place. Rayo face Espanyol in what might be Espanyol's last chance to really make a go of staying up. Atleti face Osasuna. Valencia, Los Che take on Real Madrid on Sunday night at Mestalla, which is always a good watch. And then the Derby Sevillano. We have Sevilla, Betis at the Sanchez Pizjuan again. So a fantastic weekend coming up. Quickly, very quickly, because we are seconds away mm -hmm. from expiring on our on our Zoom here. Partidazo del, del fin de? Uh, we have many things to watch out for. You know, Cadiz Valladolid is going to be pure drama, the best opener for the weekend. I think that Girona Villarreal might be one of those open games with a 3-4 scoreline or a 2-3, you know, very interesting ones. Getafe Elche uh, is going to also to be pure drama because... Getafe needs to win that game. Also, I expect greatness from Real Sociedad against Barca because Barca are still parting out after winning the, the <laughs> championship. And Valencia-Real Madrid is going to be very interesting because I think Real Madrid are going to try to make a statement. Whereas Valencia really needs to win the game. So also that game and Sevilla-Betis are the perfect way to cap the, the weekend off. Fantastic. Well done, Paco, for getting inside that minute. We will <laughs> bid you goodbye now. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Check out our written stuff online at llonline.substack.com and join us again on Monday when we'll be back to review another thrilling weekend in La Liga. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Paco. Cheers. Adios.